Welcome to Chocolate Lauren Dinosaurs, a podcast brought to you by us, the Chocolate Lauren Dinosaurs team. I'm Michael and I'm back with uh, another illustrious panel of uh, students and staff to discuss new issues as we kind of reflect on some of the things that have happened in the world of libel and defamation over the past 12 months and some cases the past 12 days. Um, I'm joined today by Abby. Hello. See, I waved again. <laughs> well done, Abby. This is a con continuing to be a theme. Uh, Zuli. <laughs> Hello. Jamie. Hi. And Joe. Hi. So I'm going to go around and get you to introduce a little yourselves a little bit and tell us an interesting fact about yourself. And, and then we'll kick off with a discussion of defamation and see where it takes us in this bizarre and unusual podcast. So, Abby. So I am a member of the teaching team at Keel, and my interesting fact about me, well, I, th I think it's interesting. I like cooked celery, but I've never liked raw celery. That is, that is <laughs> weird. That's perfectly valid. I hate raw celery. Uh, I'm Zuli. I'm a law student, and I, I love curry. <laughs> that is a very valid fact. Well, so what is your so order, Zuli? Um, probably chicken tikka madras with spinach and potato and pilau rice and then a chapati. Nice. That's banging. Uh, hi, I'm Jamie. I'm also a law student. Um, an interesting fact about me is I really love dinosaurs on like an unhealthy level. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you'll be taking us through Jamie's Dinosaur Emporium later Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Hi there, I'm Joe. I'm also a law student. And uh, an interesting fact about me is that I live in Cyprus, although I'm not a Cypriot national. You just snuck in through the border. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's okay. <laughs> we won't tell anybody that. I have, a, I have a piece of paper that says I'm allowed to be in Cyprus without uh, a stamp on my passport. It's great. The fact that you wrote that and printed it off on the university <laughs> computers is not sufficient. <laughs> it was given to me by the government. Okay. It's official. Yes. Which prime minister gave it you? <laughs> How many prime ministers has that piece of paper seen? <laughs> About six. <laughs> <laughs> so, defamation Where's and libel. Oh, my interesting fact. Uh, my interesting fact is that I really want a pair of African land snails as a teaching uh, prop, but no one will buy them for me. They're quite expensive, aren't they? They are expensive. My nan used to have some. <laughs> Don't they live for like 30 years? That would be amazing, you a thirty-year-old snail. Explain why you want African land. Oh, I teach I teach torts. I teach negligence, oh, and Donahue no. and Stevenson is like snail. the key case. Yeah, snails. Have you seen that um, trend that went around on TikTok about the immortal snail? No, I haven't seen right. that. Right. So it started with this um, post online about someone who was saying, um, "Could you like live your life knowing that somewhere out there there's a snail? If if it touches you, it kills you instantly." Um, do you think you could like live with that? And everyone was like, yeah, I could just move across the country and everything. But then there became this trend on TikTok to, um, what's it, you know, the John Lennon Christmas song, what's War Is Over. Yeah. Um, it became a trend where it was like, the snail has finally caught up. It's 2060. It's just me and the snail left. We're so done. I mean, the question has to be whether the snail has to touch your skin or whether it just no, touches it's just, your just clothing. No, just touch you. Just, just touch, touch you. you. So okay. even if it was just your clothes? This is where you hire your friend, just put it in a glass jar, and then you're safe. Yes. See, that's what everyone was saying. Yeah. Put it in a glass jar and watch it slowly no, suffocate no, no, and no, have no, the last no, laugh over no. that snail. Because it's an immortal snail no, as well. No, it but you what have do you mean it's immortal? You get your friend to it's put it in a glass jar, because then you're not touching it. Yeah. And they're not, they're not going to die, and you won't die, so it's fine. And then what you do is you stick it on a NASA rocket and fire it into space. No, 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 because then it might come back. You never know for certain. Or you just kill every snail that you come into contact with. If you've got it, if you've got it in your, if you know where it is, you're you're forever safe. But I think in a thousand years you might you might True. be in your spaceship, and then all of a sudden you hear a knocking at the door, and then it's a snail. Exactly. Snails, 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 snails can knock. Knock <laughs> knocking. I mean, that's impressive for a snail. It's probably banging its eyeball against yeah, the hull of your I spaceship. Yeah, I was just thinking it's probably headbutting the spaceship. Comes in with a big black eye, going, "I found <laughs> you now." <laughs> It's like that Rick and Morty episode where they're not actually snails, but they're, oh God, they're vile. So, defamation <laughs> and libel, which we're not going to commit this day. Uh, we've had quite a few cases over the last 12 months that have dealt with various defamation things. We've had uh, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp in, in America and also Alex Jones. Uh, we've had the Wagatha Christie trial in the UK. And we've also now got the emerging chess cheating route, which is just pure gold to talk about um who could have thought chess could be so intense but um so 
defamation is the idea that somebody has either printed or said something that lowers the reputation of the other person in the minds of the right thinking individual defined by a judge what the right thinking person is usually by reference to kind of social norms that we have at the minute but alex jones's case is unusual because of the quantity of damages that's been awarded yeah. against him he's got to pay something like over a billion dollars now um because he you know kept knocking on the families of the victims of sandy hook doors claiming oh this isn't real you know everything was you know faked and you were just paid actors and you know your children are actually alive crisis actors i think is the word he used yeah yeah, I mean, he did hound and harass, and I think it's the it's an interesting one because it, it merges the two issues. There's the the defaming the people by saying you're crisis actors, but also the harassing of them that he kind of perpetuated or, or and, and and facilitated really. Well, yes, facilitated because he basically he didn't himself do it. You could say, but he's definitely his followers have been a massive part of you know following these people around and harassing them. And I think that's why it was such a high sum. I think is. Net worth is now about like minus nine hundred million, something something like that. Similar to mine, then. <laughs> <laughs> no, your net, net worth is probably about not in the negative, but certainly. <laughs> it's I just, don't know. It's just you can't really imagine it, can you? Like losing your kids to a shooting, and then people coming and harassing you, saying, "Oh, you know, your kids are alive. You're lying. Like they're in there. You've been paid for all this." I think they. I think it was like they said the kids were never even real in the first place. It was, it was that kind of. It was just that. That was the whole rhetoric. Was that they just never existed and it was all faked the whole way through. I think that's why it was so you know shocking when it was. And that's the interesting thing here, isn't it? Whether it's to do with the harassment or the defamation of the lie of your <laughs> children never existed and you're spruiking this lie and therefore you're so dishonest. I think that's the really interesting line here. And it kind of, it, one of the problems that you get with, with that crossing that line is that nowadays, whereas, whereas before, if, if Alex Jones had stood on the corner of the street and yelled this at the passers-by, it would have got probably a few people, dozens maybe. But now we've got social media and it perpetuates itself and it becomes self-perpetuating. I think then you also get into the problem of um, sort of psychological harm and go, well, you know, these, peop these poor people have been harassed online and offline for so long it, it, it's almost like how do you how how far can money go to compensate that because you've still had a bunch of people you know tell you oh your children weren't actually dead or your children weren't real and you were just actors and it, it's sort of going well how money can only do so much yeah you it, can't bring it, your kids back yeah it, it can't bring your child back and it, it can't take away the memory of you know all these people just bullying you basically i think it's awful it, it does accentuate the it, it kind of exaggerates the trauma doesn't it because yeah. you, it's, it makes it more complicated you've already lost somebody who's very very precious in in horrible circumstances and then you've got somebody saying that wasn't real and you know, anyone who was put in that situation and told that their relative who died or their child who died wasn't real would be it would be hideously kind of then it comes into censorship and how how much do you allow people to spread false information and how do you actually regulate whether it, the information is false or do you know it, with conspiracy theories there's so many that you think oh my god that's crazy and also in america they've got the issue with the first amendment as, as well haven't they this thing that they're very protective of the right to say what you want to yeah. say and to uh, to uncover things and obviously in this case it's been decided that it's sufficiently violated to have to pay damages but again we've seen that where perhaps you could make the argument particularly with extreme religious groups the is it the westboro baptist church where they go and yeah. pick it and all those lovely people and yet <laughs> nothing has been done to curtail that well you say this but the um, is that in america yeah well there's been uh, this isn't like world news or anything there's been somebody in leak that's um been going up and down the street like saying people you know, like using basically Christianity, Christianity to say, um, you know, it, God's going to be so disappointed, you know, you're a bad person, everything. And they have actually ended up getting the police to come out and regulate it because it's causing that much distress to people in town that it's like you can't even walk through town now without somebody 
like preaching to you that everything that you do in your life is wrong because God's not gonna. And also for people who don't know Leek very well, we do have a very active uh, drag scene now, don't we? It's <laughs> great. I, did, I didn't know we had an active drag scene in Leek. Might have to go and visit, but um, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> let's we, go. Yeah, let's go. We um, we had a similar issue where I <coughs> where I went to college. Um, so I'm from the black country, if people couldn't tell by the horrendous accent. But um, we we had a preacher guy who stood outside the Tesco's uh, near our college and, you know, sort of preach a lot about, you know, Christianity and how we're all going to hell. And we got an email from um, the faculty in the college going, please stop engaging with them because we just keep bullying them because they turn and be like, oh, you're all going to hell. And we're like, yeah, mate, see you there. And just keep pushing them, which uh, was probably like a bit harsh of us probably engaged. We probably shouldn't have engaged, but we were, you know, 16, 17 and didn't particularly care. And we were like, oh, this will be a fun way to kill time before a lecture. And it does, it's in, you, you, it's interesting you raise that because there's that line between, you know, taking the mickey and, and what is essentially, you know, twisting somebody's views that they're spouting and standing there and, and kind of forcing on people in some instances. And there's, a, there's that line between having an opinion, telling a joke, and then going too far where you're causing harm to people. But it's a really difficult line to draw, and it's really blurry between where do we stop and, and where's an where does the opinion or comedy end and the issue begin? Well, you, it's sort of freedom of expression, but it's not freedom from consequence. I mean, if you're, it also depends on the context of how you're expressing yourself. I mean... Comedy, in its sense, is inherent. In the idea of comedy is in it's inherently uh, satirical. So you understand that if you go to a comedy club, there's going to be some jokes. You might not like them, but it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be taken completely seriously. Whereas if you go to say a political rally and someone makes a joke, then it's got to be taken slightly more seriously. So it's it's more about context than anything else. Thinking of political rallies, my favourite ever political rally joke was by Margaret Thatcher when she turned up in the 90s at William Hague's, no, it was the 2000s in William Hague's uh, when he was leading the Conservative Party, and she said, oh, the cinemas knew I was coming, and everybody sort of was waiting for the punchline, it says, because they had the mummy returns on their, their signs. <laughs> and I was like, are you, is that ageist joke, or is that, I don't know what that was, but it was quite amusing. <laughs> Abby. The uh, thing I was just thinking about, sparked by Joe's point, is the as well, in as much as the situation we're talking about, talking about, you know, crisis actors and all of that thing is hugely problematic because of the offence it caused. Also, there's that line, isn't there, where maybe in more oppressive political regimes, the ability to use the internet and speak out and to, you know, use comedy and that sort of diverse communication has been really positive, hasn't it? Like if we think about the Arab Spring and all of that kind of stuff. But then you've got that very careful balance, as Michael said, that you have to strike between what is a good use of that and what is not such a good use of that. And Michael, you've been looking at fandoms and things, haven't you? Mm -hmm. And the way that that works around either being positive and or negative. One of the things that, that was said in the, it covered in the news, and this is from, from The Guardian uh, when it was reporting on Alex Jones's uh, trial, he called the proceedings a kangaroo court, mocked the judge, called the plaintiff's lawyers ambulance chasers and said the case was a front to free speech. But it is that thing of free speech is to have an opinion, but, it's, but, but there's a consequence. And when he's pushing it to the point where he's not just saying, oh, I'm not convinced this, this existed, this happened. He's saying actually, you know, beyond that and pushing and, and encouraging people and facilitating something which is is quite nasty but it is it there is that line isn't there between we can have an opinion and have an opinion that is against the orthodoxy or even against what you know is commonly accepted or perhaps in difficult areas where there's ambiguity or a diverse number of opinions we can have an opinion that fits with different camps but there's a difference between speaking your mind and harming somebody else I think, um, I think, like Joe said, you know, you don't have a freedom of consequence. You, you, you know, within reason, you can basically say what you want to who you want when you want, but you also need to accept the consequence of what you're going to say and the possible fallout from what you're going to say. Um, 
And I feel like a lot of people don't think that. And then when they're suddenly told, oh, yeah, actually, that, you know, that's, that's defamation or that's libel. And they go, oh, no, that's infringing my right, you know, that's infringing on my right to free speech. And you're like, well, actually, no, it's not because you've, you've said what you've said. And now you're just facing the consequences of what you've said. Yeah. And there's an element of truth, isn't it? It's the, it's the fact that if you're peddling something which is not true, you're on very thin ice. But if you're saying, well, I'm concerned about, I don't know, the, the tax returns of the prime minister or something, and I think they should be, you know, the, we, we believe they should be public. Let's use that as an example. True example. But with true. <laughs> um, or, the, you know, the tax returns of the royal family and so forth and so on. But you're voicing an opinion. You're not... And on a fact that's true, we know there's tax returns and we want them to be open open because we hope there's tax returns. We want them to be open to the public and and in the public domain. But we're not making a falsehood. It would be very different to say, well, you know, the the prime minister is funneling funds off to something. You'd have to have some kind of evidence in order to be able to accuse people of misfeasance in a public office. And that's, I think, where Alex Jones's case is quite interesting. We should say that there's no... There is an argument in the case that he did not send people directly. It's just his views kind of spiral and get out of control. But he's basing his views and his public persona on a falsehood, which is that this didn't happen. And that's the distinction between what isn't defamation and where free speech can kind of be used compared with where it can't. But again, that falls into your sort of fandom work, Michael, because the fact that if people went on his behalf to go and carry on that narrative demonstrates just how those communities can either have positive or negative impact, doesn't it? Because if they're so entrenched in that belief that they act upon it, then it also shows all of those mechanisms Mm. and that sort of thing. I was going to ask, what fandom work are you doing? Oh, so I'm interested in how online fandoms in particular uh, could potentially, whether or not you're engaging with them, can have health benefits or health unbenefits. Declines. Declines, yeah. Because being part of a group gives you um, a sense of self. You have you derive a sense of self. I think it was Taj Fell and Turner back in the late 70s told us about social identity theory, the idea that you as an individual gain something of your identity through being a member of groups. So that's why you see sort of very tribalism in football, for example. People very much identify with each other. And it could have negative and positive health effects. So when your football team is doing really well, everybody might be up and it might have a positive impact on them. And when they're they're lower, it's sort of down, but they're not necessarily suffering in the same way that an individual might be if everything's going wrong because there's a unity. Um, And I'm interested in what happens when you say, well, there's a toxic positivity or toxic negativity where somebody is saying there's only one narrative and anything that deviates from this is particularly is unacceptable and then if you don't engage with those fandoms and you sort of withdraw from them that can be a problem as well and then obviously we're talking about what you know there's a ongoing debate about what's harm online and it's that question of well actually you can define harm pretty widely okay i've got an interesting point about that that i'll tell you about later that i won't talk about on here for fear of Liable and definition, but I know some people who will listen to this will know exactly what I'm on about. Perhaps we'll come back to that on a future episode. Who knows? Oh no, I don't think this can be said on a podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I might get in a bit of trouble with we people. Taught I know. Them well in towards you have listened clearly. well in yes. towards. Well oh, done. I'll tell you off the record. <laughs> but peop- the people who know, because I know some people who are going to listen to this are part of the same community I'm in, will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Is it on Reddit? That's the question. No, it's on it's it, it's on Discord. Ooh, Even Discord. worse, okay. yeah. yeah, Discord no. is Discord is an interesting yeah. platform. I've never been on it. It's all right. I'll I'll give you the rundown in a bit. It's quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> so the other two cases, the other cases that we've had, uh, Alex Jones is obviously a really big one and and unique because of the amount of damages that he's being asked to pay, and it's worth pointing out that um, it's worth pointing out that. The American system still has juries in these kind of cases. So there is an element of the jury has defined the damages. And if anybody's seen Runaway Jury, it's not too bad. It, it's kind of like that. Or you've read the book, for example. Um, it the, the jury has set the damages. So it's likely that if he appeals and appeals the damages, they might get set. Because how can he pay that? And that's the question. Billion dollars is... Like, no, I, 
That's so much money. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> amount of money. I've never seen damages that high. The other cases that we've had, though, we had we had Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, which was a really difficult difficult case. Obviously, people around the world watching it live on YouTube. I've found the fallout of that very interesting of what's come after the case, um, particularly some text messages Johnny Depp had sent um, and the demonization of Amber Heard. And I'm not saying, you know, she's an all fantastic woman. In my opinion, in my opinion, <laughs> I think they're both as bad as each other. Mm. In my opinion. I think that's I one of the things that, enough. that was one of the things that came out of the trial, yeah. wasn't it? it was, yeah. It's a really difficult relationship to define. But you know, good and bad isn't really something you apply to that. It's just difficult and, and potentially toxic. But, yeah. but it was very interesting to see on social media how quickly people took Johnny Depp's side over Amber Heard's. And, you know, it was it was it was very interesting to sort of see specifically post the trial where then a bit more evidence sort of came out and everyone sort of went, oh, Amber Heard had a, had a bit of a point actually about that and Johnny Depp actually isn't a nice person. Well, with regards to juries, that's a big question, isn't it? How on earth can you elect an impartial jury in relation to somebody like Johnny Depp unless you find people who have no access to print media, TV media, any of that? And also, there's that question, isn't there, about cameras in the courtroom and maybe what impact that has. Because obviously they're both actors, but they're actors of a different type and a different sort of, I don't want to say caliber, but a time. time as well. And they can present in a way that they would be more comfortable in such an environment. So what do we, what do we think about that? Would you not rather have the cameras so you can, can see what's going on? But are you really seeing what's going on, Zuli, when you've got two actors involved, who one of whom has a very established media <coughs> presence? And again, with them having the juries for defamation in the US. Yeah, no, I do get that. But then I think as well, it, when you did watch the case, it did seem a lot like... Oh, this is going to sound so bad. It did sound like, seem a lot like Amber wasn't really she just seemed like she was just sort of there telling a story like all of the like oh my dog stepped on a bee like what do you know so i think a lot of what she was saying wasn't really like i don't know i didn't really agree with yeah well the problem is is that i think personally when i i didn't watch any of the case um i waited until i <coughs> i heard the um the judgment because it was a lot of I think it was after the first day when it was everyone. It was everyone was doing their own, own little case commentary, and we sat there going, "I was sat there going, but we're not the jury. We have uh, we all, we all already have a divided opinion. So there's no point in us commenting. We were just it's a continually com continual comment commentary on the case, which the media is doing anyway. So why do we all need to? Why do we all need to add to this when it's not? We don't get to decide this. But when you're watching a live case and you're seeing every piece of evidence and all of the statements that the jury are given, you know, you're going to come to your own conclusion anyway. It's not like you are just going off what the media says when you're live watching. But it, it, it's like very recently the um, Lucy Letby trial that we're seeing unfold at the minute. And, um, you know, bits of evidence are now being released. And, you know, we're see we, we, don't have, we don't have cameras in our courtrooms, but we're, you know, getting reports of what's being said. Um, and we're seeing the evidence that's, you know, been admitted you know, almost like the moment it is. Um, and I think that, you know, people form their opinions on that, you know. Um, I think recently this post-it note she had mm. came out and was, you know, very much sort of, you know, there's, there's this lot of, oh, you know, I am evil, I am, you know, I did this, is written at the bottom. And people form their own opinions on that. And then, you know, you look at other parts of the note and it's like, I haven't done anything wrong. And it's... People are going to have conflicting views on the same piece of evidence, and I think you should be allowed to, to um, you know, express those opinions as you want. But again, it, feel, it almost feels like you've got to be careful and tread this line of you can't overstep and act as though you're a lawyer there's online. There's a responsibility, isn't there, um, to, to, to take accountability for what you say and what you do. And a really good example you're talking about Lucy Letby in an ongoing trial in Chester. But um, we had Christopher Jeffries uh, about a decade ago now, who was the landlord of the uh, the, the murdered 
um, lady. Joanna uh, Yates. Joanna Yates, yes. And um, he was essentially tried by the, the media. And then it was 11, eight, no, eight newspapers paid libel damages to him when he, when he later sued them. So it's that consequence. Like you say, we're, if we're all having this opinion and we're all making judgments, once those judgments enter a certain kind of content, like they're published online, they're published in the newspapers, there's a consequence to them. It can be quite damaging to people. And, and obviously Christopher Jeffries was singled out because of the way he looked, because of the fact he was a landlord. He fitted an archetype, a stereotype. Yeah, a stereotype. And the papers latched onto that. And it, obviously, you know, there was consequences for them. You said about the cameras in the courts in the UK. The UK Supreme Court does actually record their cases and put it online. So you can go and watch any case that the Supreme Court have done. So because they're trying to be more transparent and so that people can see what's going on in the courtrooms. But do you think that's more to do with the level of precedent that the Supreme Court has, that that is possible and that is necessary? Because... We know, don't we, that when we get to the Supreme Court, that's it. Yeah. So do you think that makes a difference? I do, but then I think because people, because I think, like, you know, the general public have negative views about lawyers and what actually goes on in the law and what goes on in courtrooms and just the general perception of judges and stuff, I think it helps to change that narrative that actually stuff, actually, stuff does get dealt with. And, you know, just because you're not seeing it live, which now you can... Um, doesn't mean that it's not like going forward. Apparently, the Supreme Court is coming to Manchester next year on a roadshow to, to to sit in the in, in Manchester. I'm not exactly sure really? why, but yes, yeah, I saw there's that some excitement. Um, uh, colleagues elsewhere that they're, they're going to be based in Manchester for a, a, a couple of things, and they want to go and sit in there. I did have to laugh at my wife when she mentioned this by saying, "Huh, I've had an after-hours tour of the Supreme Court in London." <laughs> Well, we went when that popped for the Parliament and Supreme Court trip. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I was at work. Um, well, my train got cancelled, so I missed the Parliament one. Had to drive down. Well, when I was a student, I went on that trip and I nearly had to cause a terrorist incident to find somebody to find me an accessible loo. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. For those oh, of you who don't know, I am a full-time wheelchair user. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's... How... I was, I don't know, but I went to Westminster Abbey in search of a bathroom. No bathroom was there. But getting back to uh, Christopher Jeffries particularly, and also what we've been talking about, is do you think, anybody, that it is possible to do a defamation trial when you have such known, well-known well people whose reputation in the sort of thinking of the general public has to some some extent been constructed, be that by PR, be that by they themselves. Do you think it is possible to say that their reputation has been damaged in the same sense that we might do with somebody with Christopher Jeffries? I don't think there should be. I think there is, particularly because of how well-known certain people can be pre-trial um, to like the general public, so you know, the, the, the everyone knows who Johnny Depp is. Everyone knew yeah. who Amber Heard was, and everything. Everyone knows who Amber Heard is, even. Um, but you know, I think that 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 pre-existing shouldn't have an impact. But I think particularly in America, when you've got a jury, it definitely does. You can't you can't ask a jury to stay impartial on something like that. If you didn't have a jury and it was just a judge, um, I'd feel it'd probably be easier because main qualities of a judge is you have to be impartial and you you know you have to almost put everything aside and go look you know we've got to take this ob objectively sub i never remember which one objectively which. yeah i never remember yeah it's it's also there's a there's a degree of legal gamesmanship in yeah. in juries in in america because they obviously select the jury and they have certain number of objections and certain number of ways they can they can have an input into into choosing a jury which is different from here where we get chosen off the electoral register and dealt cards and then, then you end up doing jury service, but that's only for criminal trials. But the objectivity is important because you're dealing with members of the public and you're trying to make this connection with them. And if you look at America, there's a degree of theatre that goes on in the courtroom. I mean, uh, any footage of the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case is, is quite interesting for the way that the different sides present themselves. And that kind of tells you a bit of a story about the legal process in America as well. Well... Just on about the juries in America, do they have to reach a unanimous vote as well? Or is that just a majority? Usually it's a, it's either unanimous or a majority. 
So they don't have to have everyone agree like we do over here. Uh, over here, you can have a majority verdict as long as it's oh, ten I it people. Had to be unanimous. No, it can be ten to two or unanimous. Oh. Um, but as soon as you get three people, it's a hung jury, so you can't have a verdict. So there is a there's a threshold that they have to meet. Oh, okay. Usually, the judge will send them out to go for a unanimous verdict, and then they'll yeah. come back. And if they can't reach a unanimous verdict, they'll accept a majority instead. Oh, okay. I think the jury selection in America. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I've just heard stories, and it's it, it's like okay, we can dismiss per- this person on on this very specific ground and you go in can you can you not just you just got to leave people as they are it's almost it, it almost it feels like it should be tampering with the jury almost like set up yeah like you're, you're dismissing certain people because you're scared they're not going to agree with you which well might not be the reason you've given is there's definitely an undercurrent of that in most trials um and you know it's all it's almost like oh i'm trying to t- cheat almost and tip this in my favor yeah. Also, though, with the jury, with the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, or indeed any celebrity trial, how can they be said to have a jury of their peers in the same way, unless you had, you know, other other stars and things? Um, so it's Just get r- Chris Pine in, <laughs> in the jury box. <laughs> it, but it's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Until you start thinking about that mechanics, and again with the defamation, it what reputation is being damaged? Is it them? Or is it the corporate them, which is making all the money, which has a different impact than, as I say, someone like Christopher Jeffrey? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, th- I think there's an interesting point about loss of work here as well, particularly yeah. with Johnny right. Depp. Because he got... He got fired from Fantastic Beasts. And they won't do uh, Pirates of the Caribbean now with him. I'm I'm quite gutted about that. I love Yeah, I won't Caribbean. be watching Pirates of the Caribbean now. <laughs> I, I, I probably still will. I love Pirates as well. But um, Jamie will pirates watch and dinosaurs. Pirate, dinosaurs. <laughs> pirates, pirates and dinosaurs. If someone makes a show about dinosaur pirates, I'm there. <laughs> this is Lord Denning and his dinosaur pirates. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> business idea. Dinosaur pirates isn't that just like How to Train Your Dragon, basically? No, they're drag. <laughs> they're, they're dragons. They're not dinosaurs. They're dragons. It's a very specific type <laughs> of lizard. There's a dif- sorry, there's a difference. <laughs> One of the things that it's worth pointing out a little bit more detail about how they select juries in America. So they select a pool of jurors and then they select a panel through questioning. And at that point, the uh, advocates, um, the lawyers, because there's a slight different language in America, can move to strike out particular jurors if they don't think they're going to be fair or impartial. But obviously, you can use that as an opportunity to say, okay, well, this person is going to be biased against my client. But what are they basing that on, though? Uh, The questions that have been asked to the jurors by the judge, usually. Oh, can we find the questionnaire? I want to see what. Uh, it varies by asked. state. There probably will be a questionnaire that you can. Let's find California. Find. I'm not sure why California is the first state that came into here. Mainly because Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor, probably. Yeah, yeah and, probably. And there is a higher concentration of famous people. I would have thought. There California. is. LA is full of famous people. I was going to ask a question, but I'm not going to because it's. Um, no, I was going to say, is LA in California? LA is yeah. in California. <laughs> LA is Los that. Angeles. The. the <laughs> But there's no particular the reason why you should know that, Zuli. You're not American. It is. Well, no, but basic geography would probably help <laughs> in this. I mean, you talk to a person who thought Denmark was in England. That's pretty good. I like that. Denmark uh, is in England. I was about 12, but yeah. So did you think Denmark was a city then? Rather I don't know what I thought. I just thought, yeah, did probably. I thought you know, it was in England. Did you know Copenhagen is meant to be the happiest city in the world? Yes, apparently. I thought it'd be Amsterdam, to be honest. Yeah, no, same. apparently it's Copenhagen. <laughs> Amsterdam's amazing. My brother keeps joking about taking my nan to Amsterdam. Amsterdam is the highest city in the world, and that's not by geography. <laughs> my nan's been Amsterdam, and I asked her if she'd do a chillest city. an edible, and she said no. I think that's what my brother wants to do. I was like, well, when in the city? <laughs> my older brother. Me as well. <laughs> she got me some clogs from there, though. Oh. Some wooden clogs. What, wearable Who doesn't ones love clogs? Or a little yeah. ornament. Oh, no, she, no, yeah, she did get me wearable ones and a key ring, but the wearable ones, I don't wear them. They're just Have you decorative. tried to wear them? No. So, wha- thinking about jurors in, in the LA, for example, um, Paul Lisnek, uh, who wrote the book The Hidden Jury and Other Secret Tactics Lawyers Used to Win, uh, did point out, in reference to Michael Jackson's trial, uh, when he was acquitted of, of uh, molestation of, of uh, an underage boy, that the prosecution would be looking for Republican conservative religious folk uh, who probably voted for George Bush and would be looking for that demographic of people because they would be more likely to convict. Um, and obviously the, the defence would be looking for people who are less likely to fit that demographic. So there is a lot of kind of 
legal gamesmanship that goes on in that selection of the jury, and it's, it, that is is quite difficult to to comprehend as a jurisdiction where when we're talking about somebody being defamed, it's decided by a judge. And that's the difference between Johnny Depp versus The Sun and Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard in America because in, in the UK, the judge has gone discrediting the victim who's put who's, who's told this story, who's shared this, this tale of abuse and, and, and opened it up to the world. Uh, discrediting them is, is a... The, you know, experts in the UK said at the time that the, the American trial concluded that it's a tactic that's used to discredit the person who's been on the receiving end of the abuse in order to be able to overturn you know in order to be able to succeed in these cases because obviously it wasn't it the son described him in particularly derogatory terms in nature of his his, his relationship well, they used the term wife beater mm. which was found to be i think they found in ca- in favor of the son but that was yes. i think you could argue that that was because they had he had i believe we had they had hit he had hit amber heard but I think she'd also hit him, so it was it was it quite it was quite like um, I, I thought it was quite um, technical, is in the sense that because they've used the, the the specific term wife beater, although it wasn't it wasn't a question of whether they hit each other; it was a question of whether he'd hit her, and therefore that was I think that's what satisfied the judge in that case. Yeah, that she said that the the kind of three main points they were trying to make in that case was that Heard was not a reliable vit- witness. That uh, then there was the issue of Heard saying self defence, and obviously there was the alleged violent incident perpetuated by by Depp, and obviously that was found to be you know, found in favour of news group newspapers. I'm just reading this juror questionnaire, and it starts off sort of how you'd expect, like oh, you know, what's your name, where do you live. Um, any area you've lived in for the past 10 years, highest level of education, any training in like healthcare or law, um, education, educational background of any other adults who live in your home, um, employment status. And then, it, you know, it, it starts off sort of all right. And it's like, are you involved in the hiring or firing of other employees? Are you involved in evaluating the job performance of other employees? Um, any other jobs you've had, any, like, you know, parents and children and everything. It's, it's a bit in depth. And then it gets down to, do you feel that money damages awarded in lawsuits are excessive, often too large, about right, occasionally too low, often too low, or other? And um, it it feels a bit weird to be asking that of Mm. a juror because then, you know, if you think, oh, they're always excessive, you're going to go, oh, we'll strike you off then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it's like, oh, anything that um, could affect your ability to be impartial, you have to explain. Um, if a claim for money damages have been made against you, or if you've ever been sued, it's like it, sta- it, it starts off fairly normal and then just gets a bit invasive as they try and weed out who they don't want. In it is jury. a very specific line of questioning that's. Yeah. This is a bit alien to the UK, the way the UK works. We certainly wouldn't be asking jurors about what their opinion of damages were. Yeah, I was just going to say on the Depp and Heard one, a lot of it was as, uh, as well people saying that you can't have like reactive abuse. So if if somebody is abusing you and you know you uh, I don't know hit them back or something that that isn't actually because some people would class it as well, you know, like how people have already said they're both as bad as each other. Well, if you're reacting to the abuse, that doesn't necessarily make you an abuser and this is an argument that came out as well. Yeah, I mean, in the in the Sun trial, uh, the, the one against the newsgroup newspapers here in the UK, the judge found that um, that that the claim that Heard had invented the term "the monster" and that it had been described used to describe his conduct uh, while influenced under the while under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and uh, instead decided that actually Depp had used the term. So saying that she was an unreliable witness for using this term was was found not to not to hold any weight. Um, they found that neither Depp nor Heard's alleged previous acts of violence were relevant because it was only talking about what was in the newspaper, and um, they did sort of they did rule it rule in favour of the newspaper, and even the appeal uh, rejected the the three judges in the court of appeal rejected the attempt to to kind of uh, overturn the verdict, and they did uh, did hold that that he'd admitted headbutting Amber Heard as well, so that was. I was just going to ask Zuli, as our resident clock person, do you think the um, domestic violence legislation changes recently have had an impact on how 
judges would approach an issue. Bef- before you answer, Julia, it's worth pointing out that clock is a kind of social justice model of uh, support that's given to people who usually are litigants in person making their own claims in court or taking their own cases Created to court. Created at Keel. Created at Keel. By our esteemed colleague, Dr. Jane Krishnadas. Um, I think... <laughs> I think a lot of, well, the Domestic Abuse Act that came into force, I think it was only in April this year, they legislated it last year, um, criminalises a lot of things like stuff that wasn't really criminalised before, so like non-fatal strangulation, so stuff like that in relationships. Um, I do, I think, I don't think it'll have an impact right now because I don't think judges will know how to, there's no precedent set, there's no sort of framework to follow, it's just sort of legislation that's saying, well, this is now criminal or whatever. Um, so I don't think, I think a couple, when we had the training, a couple of the solicitors said um, from the cases that it's not been used, I think the police said as well, uh, it's going to be difficult to implement that into practice because nobody really knows how and what sort of things to, like how to get, get about it basically. But hopefully, hopefully it will, but I can't, I don't see it being... While. For a while, yeah, because I just think judges don't really know how to. Uh, well, what's going to be the precedent? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? I know it's all good saying, "Oh yeah, it's in legislation now," but I don't think that it'll be. I don't think it'll change massively, which is unfortunate because something like you know people will think now there's an act in place and it's against the law. You know, that would ho- help to change it and enable you know survivors of d- domestic abuse to get their justice and stuff, but. Uh, unfortunately, no, I don't really see it making that much of a difference so far. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're trying to legislate for something which is so varied and so diverse in, in the nature of how abuse can be perpetuated because you can end up with emotional abuse, psychological abuse, um, physical abuse. So it, it's such a broad kind of concept and, and context that it's very difficult. And often we talked about the reactive abuse, the idea yeah. that you can't have reactive abuse. And obviously there are criminal cases in, in the history of the UK, uh, in the UK jurisdiction, where women who have murdered their abusive partners or, or killed their abusive partners, we should say. Um, Aluwalia. Aluwalia being one of them, have been punished as murderers. Yeah. And then later it, the, the, the judgment has been kind of recounted and said, actually, no, this is this is manslaughter based on as it was provocation. Nowadays, it would be something else. Well, it's your fear for your life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's because she's striking at the point where there's no possibility of that reactive nature of, of who would be the stronger person in a, in a straight up sort of physical confrontation between those two people. Obviously, that can depend on the, the person, the spouses, the partners. But in in Arla Wale's case, in particular, it was because she needed to she needed to strike while kill or asleep. be killed. Yeah. yeah. The interesting thing, I don't know if anyone saw the film Provoked, which um, is based yeah. on the Arla Wale case. They said in the film something like, "A man only has to lose his temper to um, receive justice, whereas a woman has to lose her marbles or something yeah. to that effect." I was going to say. Um, Alawali also brought in um, the I don't know I can't remember the I don't know the word the some the some the something of battered women syndrome. Battered wife syndrome. Yeah, battered wife syndrome. Wife syndrome. Mm-hmm. That that was accepted as a provocation because it was yeah. because the the way provocation worked in the criminal law was it was an immediate thing and the same kind of criticism exists with the new defence of loss of control and it would take a murder uh, a murder uh, you know, accusation down to a manslaughter. But the, lo- the provocation had to be immediate. So you said something to me or you did something to me and I immediately responded. Whereas battered wife syndrome was this Simulation. slow burn buildup of the constant abuse to the point where the wife realises that or the wife believes that there's no other alternative. That's when she snapped. I'm not sure if anyone's ever seen the true crime show Snapped. No. no. Um, right, okay. It's an American true crime show which taught it, it's solely based on um, sort of wives and girlfriends killing their partners. And there is always a moment where they go, and that's when she snapped. What? And apparently in America, the there is a rumor that the first thing, if there's ever a domestic murder, the first thing to look for is the phone book. 
because it's that heavy, it's a really effective weapon. I didn't realise they still used phone books in America. I have no idea whether they still <laughs> use them, but certainly that was apparently sort of, they've the sort of rumour. Phased out now, haven't they? They don't really print the yellow pages anymore. No, I've got our yellow pages at home, which Do I you? found the other day that said last ever printed edition. I was like, when was that oh. done? Keep hold of it. 2005. Top up your retirement. <laughs> it may do. It may may top up my pension. One of the things that's interesting with when when we're talking about the difference between uh, the UK trials and and American trials, it, and it was quite obvious in the the, the video, the, the the live streaming of the the her Depp trial, was the different ways the teams presented the different teams of attorneys presented in court you had this very kind of straight laced respectful presentation of of Depp's team and this quite aggressive sort of confrontational presentation by Heard's team and that obviously influences public opinion as well because you've got these two very very different styles one more aggressive than the other one more I'm just going to ask you my questions and I'm going to see where you go with it and it does that that itself can be influencing because people react to behaviors yeah and amber heard's lawyers were not very good allegedly, allegedly. in your opinion zuli in my opinion yeah it was the whole thing though is that they were that was the whole strategy for depp's lawyers was they were just going to sit back and let them trip themselves up which they did on multiple occasions i, I believe you could see in uh, a few occasions where Statements were made, or statements were um, evidence was used, and then it was then re- the uh, Depp's lawyers then used that to their advantage because it was like they overshowed the hand or something. Like that. It was, but that's that's I think that also played into how the media saw the whole case was that Depp's lawyers were very relaxed and very you know just sort of de- quite defensive, but because they weren't aggressive, it showed them it was this it played into this image of Johnny Depp just wanted this to be over and he just wanted look yeah. prove his prove his innocence and get on with his get on with their lives but that I think there was a point where Heard's lawyer actually objected to his own statement yeah, yeah, yeah he did he it. did and, that's and what and I mean though and, this, and then uh, they, everyone this is when the, the uh, Depp's lawyers were like well what do you expect us to do it's I was going to say if we're talking about sort of not funny points, but slightly humorous points of that trial. We've got to talk about the witness statement given by his bodyguard while he's driving and on having Zoom. a vape. <laughs> having a vape while he's giving he's giving his eyewitness. He's getting cross examined as he's driving and vaping. It's not I against the law anyway. Think is, yeah, yeah. I genuinely think it's quite hilarious. And the judge just went, "That's the strangest um, eyewitness testimony we've ever had." Now, the fact that you think that's strange is really funny to me because during our off-campus teaching, there were several times when in tutorials we had to say to people, are you driving the car? You can't attend this tutorial in your car. So that doesn't shock me. Well, I think I remember in the first year we had, because um, it was right in the sort of, at uh, the beginning, in the, the middle of COVID, and we were all we were all online. And I think I remember speaking to one of our lect- one of my lecturers, and she said, um, "If you're going to join the uh, meeting, doing it from home is fine. But if you're in the supermarket, please don't join the lecture and just send me a message." One of the the final things I wanted to bring us round to when we're talking about defamation, we've had this scandal in chess. This this very exciting scandal of. Apparently, a young and up-and-coming chess player, I never knew chess could be so intense, uh, is being accused because the world's greatest chess player lost to him uh, of cheating and by the most unusual and unconventional ways to the point where he's actually said, I'll play naked to prove I don't cheat. <laughs> so, I think what, however, was he accused that he needs to play naked? They, They insinuated that he had um, certain <laughs> wireless devices secreted upon his person um, in, in uh, uncomfortable places yeah, uncomfortable areas that were um, that were feeding him information by um, I think it was earpiece no no, no. Oh. oh anal beads wireless anal beads <laughs> how would that give you information? Vibration. Vibration. Oh, so like move your hand this yeah. way. <laughs> but I mean, the reason whatever the, the reason your wheels. they reason they thought this was because I think they analysed his moves, and I think it was like ninety four percent accuracy, and like there because you can there's um when you're going up against a, a computer like computer analysed moves, you can 
they'll analyze what is the best move to take. And yeah. They, and it's like they they put it through, and there was like, I think Mag, uh, not Magnus, the uh, Hans Neiman. Hans Neiman, yeah. Um, it was. I think he made moves with 94% percent efficiency, which is practically unheard of. And so see, Magnus Carlsen was like, well, this is obviously not, uh, this is a bit confusing. You can't play that well. No one can play that well. And then it came out later on that he had cheated before. When he was 12. When he was 12. No, when he, uh, and, when, um, and again at 16 and, and twice, 16. yeah. yeah. Um, and so it was, it's still a bit confusing though. It's um, Yeah, and the... The thing is, though, that when you're talking about competitive sports, and, and realistically here that's what we're talking about, there are those individuals who can come through and just perform at a higher level, and you see it all the time. There's that pushing for additional uh, gains, and you see it with, say, motorsport, and Michael Schumacher, he comes in and he completely revolutionises how people go about uh, being a, a racing car driver, or you get people like Colin McRae and other, and other leading athletes who come in and transform how we approach sports. So it's entirely possible that you could get somebody who does play at that level. Well, y y you get prodigies, basically. And I remember I used to do karate, and I remember, you know, you'd, you'd see someone sort of come in, and they'd show, like, such deter and, like, understanding, even at, like, a lower level, and, um, you know, have, like, this determination, and you'd, you'd watch them and go, yeah, you're, you're going to do fantastic. You know, we, let's get you in tournaments. Let's, you know get you going for your grades because you can do it and we want to watch you succeed and do it. Well, I'm just reading about the um, chess now. Uh, yeah, it was started on a Reddit post that you could use the sex toy to cheat. Um, and technically it would be possible to use vibrations to communicate. So it says here that in July, um, a programmer proved that he could sh cheat by using vibrations in his shoes. So it is possible to actually do that. So three vibrations for knight to king four. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it would be the, it would be the most complicated <gasps> system of moves, though, isn't it? Because you've got so many possibilities, and you've got like you know awesome. eight vibrations for queen to knight six. No, I don't know if you've ever seen Twenty One. Um, it's it's a poker. It's about it's about a, a group of college students who run a poker scam, and they come up with the best way to cheat on blackjack by c having rhymes, things that like rhyme, and it's like oh, a dozen eggs or. S you know, something really, or like seven, or like trees. And all of them have like weird associations. So you could have like almost like a Morse code with vibrations to find out where you've got to move. And it's mm. like, you know, gone along the X and then the Y axis. Yeah. But then surely you're sat there deliberating for like, you know, if you've got to move from one side of the board to the other, surely you're deliberating there for like, you know, two or three minutes going, oh, what, you know, what, 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 what do I play? Oh, let's wait for the vibrations. And then it almost, mm. it almost becomes obvious that you're cheating. Kind of reminds you of the, the who you wants to be. squirming as well, I feel like. Yeah, that, that would be showing. a dead giveaway. Oh, I'm squirming in my seat. Um, it does yeah. remind me a little bit of the who wants to be a millionaire scandal where the guy was oh, coughing yeah. behind him. Yes. Oh my God, really? They yeah. sell jewellery now. What, who wants to be fairs. You know, the coughing, the guy, Charles Ingram, his wife and him, sell jewellery at Country Fair made out of glass. Oh, wow. I've seen them twice. Oh, wow, where at? Once at Leak Show and once really? at Chatsworth. Yeah, no yeah he, was, he was in the hot seat answering the questions, and when he deliberated, there was a guy behind him who would cough so, you know, the number of times for the answer it would be, because there would be four answers, yeah. and it would be one cough for the first one, three coughs for the third one, and so or forth. Or no way. Or I think he'd go like, A... Is it A? Maybe it's B. Maybe it's C. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and then I think there was one instance where he he was he didn't do that, and someone literally went <coughs> B. <laughs> <laughs> and if you actually, I think they they edited it for TV release. But if you actually listen to the right audio, it's really really obvious. obvious. Yeah. It was made into a play as well, wasn't it? Yeah. And a really? show. There's a yeah. there's a two parter made. I can't remember if it's by BBC or ITV. There was ITV, a two parter. Yeah. ITV. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a two part for it. And the idea, the thing about bringing things to, uh, bringing things to screen is, is we've had Vardy and, and Rooney, they're dramatizing it already. Yeah. I mean, the, the pace with which we want to dissect and, and turn these things from real life incidents into drama. I mean, the, the Charles Ingram play came out much, much later. But we've had, we've now Boris. got Wagatha, we've had yeah, Boris. Yeah, as well. And they are making yeah. the Depp Heard trial into a, t into mm. a series. Like, what the hell? It's already Brexit all on the YouTube. Like and Boris Johnson's got and, it. And the King Charles one that was on the yeah. BBC about how he refused, about King Charles being king and that refusing to sign a piece of legislation. 
previous to his um, accession, mm. but it's been aired again and everyone's consuming it. And then also you've got The Crown, haven't you? Yes. Controversy at the moment. Which I have never watched and other royalty-based... Oh, my God, based it's so good. Other royalty-based shows are available. But there's all the controversy, yeah. isn't there, about whether season five should be pulled from British screens. Really? Because, yeah, because of what's included in it and the fact that do they sufficiently recognise the boundary between a dramatisation and a sort of fly-on-the-wall thing. Well, this is why I, I, I'm reluctant to watch The Crown, just because it's simply the case of they've got they've got um, real elements in involved, but then the rest is completely fictionalised, and it, it's... People have got this view of... It's the, the problem is, is there's no, like, disclaimer or something that says, oh, this is, com- this is almost completely fictional... So it means it makes it really, really like difficult to watch because it's you you don't know what's true and what's not, and it's you're painting these people in a certain light, and you have no idea really what's going on. Well, just on what you're saying though about like what's false and the narrative that it takes to people that have the opinions about the royal family, I don't think the crown actually does portray them in such a bad way. Apart from obviously how they treated Diana and stuff with you know with her eating disorder and. The how the crown how like the institution reacted to that, I wouldn't really say. Um, I don't think it's about the portrayal of the people though. It's about recreating the funeral and the images of the children walking behind the. Quartet. Oh yeah, no, I don't agree with. That. I didn't know that's what they yeah, were doing for that, season five though. That's what they are questioning whether, given that particularly Prince Harry yeah. has been very very vocal about the psychiatric harm that from that Diana led yeah. him to suffer having to walk through that whether it would be right for that to be aired but then you've also got the question haven't you who are Harry and uh, Meghan teamed up with at the moment to produce conflict, uh, content Netflix and who are they yeah and the the other thing of course as well is that this is England the Kenneth Branagh Boris Johnson thing was about his covid and of course that's really uncomfortable viewing for a lot of people who who lost relatives during COVID and suffered quite quite significantly. Well, actually, the, you know, more than just losing people. Is that on Amazon? That was on the BBC, wasn't it? Oh, or no, Sky. The, well, Sky. They've, they've done Sky. a separate one that Boris Johnson's done that's on Amazon. No, right. There's a fair few. Yeah, but he's actually acting in it. Oh, my God. And he's, yeah, and he's like, oh, well, somebody could have told me this. Like I've just seen advertise, but I thought you were on about that. I didn't know. No, that no. Kenneth Branagh plays well. Kenneth Branagh plays Boris Johnson in this, and it was about the COVID pandemic, and uh, it's interspersed with real imagery of P of the COVID wards and the struggles that were happening. No, I don't agree with that. And also the help drama with Stephen Graham um, and Jodie Cromer, where they are staff in a care home when COVID was happening, and that's a really harrowing. I was going to say that was very difficult to watch. Um, I was talking to my mum about it and sort of went, oh, do you want to watch it together? And she's like, no. No. Because she also worked during the whole pandemic. Because uh, my mum works in a hospital. Um, and she was like, I couldn't. I didn't think I could watch it. Which is understandable because there, there are some things that I feel like you just can't. Not especially when you've lived through it. Like when yeah. I'd get, I gave care th- all throughout COVID to um, but I did it in the community, so I was going to their houses, and it was just so crazy. Like you know, the government was setting all these rules, lockdown. You can't go anywhere, you can't go and see your family. So like sometimes, us carers were the only ones that them old people would see because the families couldn't go down. They had to leave. They were shopping outside. You know, you can't even. And it's just. But then they're having parties. And it brings it back to what's the responsible? What's responsible? to put out there isn't it if you're dramatizing something which is we're still living with the consequences of it's very difficult for those of us who have been involved in it to consume that kind of media because essentially that kind of media is put out there for people to watch it for people to tune into whatever channel it is yeah for entertainment um i was talking to my friend about this because uh, we went to the cinema fairly recently um and you know when you get all the trailers at the start there was the trailer for the new season of the crown which features Diana quite heavily. And I think my friend turned to me and just said, let this poor woman rest. There are so many different dramatizations of what happened to Diana, including a musical, if you've ever heard. Written, also on Netflix. Yeah, What's written that? by the pianist of Bon Jovi, Diana the Musical. 
Oh, it's actually called Diana. Yeah, it's called Diana the Musical. Um, it is it's horrendous. It features such lyrics such as "My ginger haired son," <laughs> "That's what I get for marrying a Virgo." That's what. Yeah, it is. It is. It really is something. Um, Entertaining. I don't recommend it. It is. It's fairly entertaining when you've had a couple of drinks, but I wouldn't recommend it for casual viewing. It's awful. <laughs> And again, there's that line, isn't there, about the right to offend and the right to be offended and where the law sits, not only in terms of being turned into these dramas, so like the Wagatha Christie thing, Brexit, the uncivil war and all the rest of it, but where is that line? And we talked about that, didn't we, earlier on in the year with the Golden Globes. Yeah. Yeah, and the line between, and of course, uh, a play, uh, a waxwork figure, and they can all be forms of, de- of defamation and defam- defamatory material. And it really does depend on whether or not we define it as having serious harm to the people. And that brings us right the way back around to, what you to Alex Jones. Harm, and, and serious harm would obviously be caused by the psychiatric trauma to those people. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that counts as psychiatric trauma if they've been this horrifically harassed i'm not sure if you've seen any of the evidence that has come out but it is it it's a bit it's quite harrowing mm. like these these poor people are just like we just want them to leave us alone yeah and that's all they want and i think it's horrific that it's got to this point and you know th- there's something to be said about nipping things in the bud early for views that could cause harm but you've got to draw that line between well yes you're allowed your freedom of speech but if it you know crosses the line of this is going to cause psychiatric harm we need to take a step back and look more at um sort of how we regulate things i think as well when it is a spread of you know like just false information i know that it does you know it's a lot of like censorship and should you really be allowed to censor what people are saying well like you say if it's causing people harm and you are spreading misinformation it's like when people were you know, so over here when people were saying like COVID being a hoax and there's so many people that have lost the family members to COVID. I mean, like my nan was in hospital and nearly died because of COVID. So when you get people like that, that it's had such an effect on your life and they're just sort of saying, no, it's not real. It, re- it does trigger something inside you that makes you think, are you really, <coughs> I, I don't even know what the word is, but just how can you think? And it's not a, it's not like a recent that. phenomenon because you get it all the way back to to sort of denying of the Holocaust in, in the Second yeah. World War. So it's not some it, it's something that's ingrained into society. It's not a not a recent development with things like COVID or the advent of social media. There can also be an element of physical harm as well in the spreading of health misinformation. Because I remember at the start of COVID, there were a few things where people were drinking like disinfectant and taking what was that thing that Donald Trump Bleach. was spruiking. <laughs> um, it was a it was a medication um, which is a, it was an a autoimmune medication which was um, I think it was used primarily to treat um, lupus and stuff like that and it meant it, um, my friend at the time she had lupus and it was like she was really extremely worried because it meant that because <clears throat> there was only a limited amount of this drug and if people just started trying to buy it on mass there would be no way for certain people to get it if you actually need it yeah, exactly. yeah. so it was and. I think it comes down to this sort of idea of what is fiction and what isn't. I mean, you have these drama series, bring it back to the crown, you've got these uh, drama series where you can't, there's no, you can't actually be sure what is real and what isn't. In all, the, in all forms of media, I mean, you have um, the Hilborough um, incident, which has been recently um, dramatised, um, but my dad, um, he refuses to watch it because he, he cannot, it um, brings back too many memories for him because he was um, uh, around alive in Liverpool around that time. And it, he knows people that have had died in that and he just refuses to watch it. I think it's interesting when you say it like that because obviously with uh, the release of the Jeffrey Dahmer new series on Netflix, the it, it did break the thing for being the most watched which has now been broken by the watcher i think but there was a lot of um like arguments that came out about that and how how in the series the neighbor in the series that called the police wasn't actually his neighbor it was somebody that lived down across the road um a lot about how sort of roman- romanticizing him and tr- making people feel bad that he had these issues that then made him go on and kill these men um but it's just, 
it it they said about it bringing it back up for the victims and the victims' family complaining and about also, it. So there's been a complaint about a pizza restaurant in I think it was Texas putting a um, entrail pizza on display and calling it the Jeffrey Dahmer special, and that's a demonstration of the being so removed from the legal thing that happened to this pop cultural thing. I, I think that's an issue when you start dramatising particularly true crime cases because The Watch is also a true crime case. Oh, is it? Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved on it. I've not not, not that I condone BuzzFeed, but <laughs> BuzzFeed Unsolved I, you know, has a special place in my heart. Um, and it's this family who moved to um, a really nice suburb in New York and they started getting letters to their door from this guy saying, I am the watcher of this house. And like he, he just knew weird intimate details about them and he so you know he knew their kids nicknames because he just watched and no one knows who it is and it's an unsolved case no one knows who did this and he was like oh my father watched and his father watched before him and now i am watching so you're all weirdos um yeah it's a family of stalkers for this one house um but it's been it's been dramatized by ryan murphy who also did american horror story and glee I love Which American I think Horror. is a that's really funny combination. That is quite the juxtaposition. Glee I'm and haunted, American Horror I'm Story. haunted by Ryan Murphy. I can't escape him. He's everywhere I turn. Whenever anybody mentions Glee, I always think of the, well, the literal video for Total Eclipse of the Heart, where it's talking about the Glee <laughs> Club of the Damned, um, it, which is well worth a watch just for a giggle, because that video was strange anyway. But you do get that issue of when you dramatise something and the, the Unabomber... Uh, Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix is a good example. You get that story about how they've caught this individual who's doing these things. But the people in the story are composite characters who are taking a lot of what um, a team of individuals and all sorts of individuals have done and, and thinning it down so that they can actually present it on television. So there is that issue of, of what we see isn't necessarily the full truth. We see a version of it. It's the interpretation of it, isn't it? We will say goodbye from this week's episode of Chocolate Lore and Dinosaurs. Mm. Uh, so uh, I say thank you to Abby. I say thank you to Zuli, Jamie and uh, Joe. We will be back with more unlimited chaos and uh, exploration of topics that we never realised we were going to talk about uh, in the next episode. And more chocolate. And there'll be more chocolate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.